sleep apnea. It's one of those things where we see people, we might think, oh, isn't it so silly and cute about people snoring or just, you know, oh, they've got just a little bit of mild apnea or kind of waking themselves up and what have you. But we might poo-poo it or not take it seriously. And the fact that you took all these steps, because I know sometimes, unfortunately, I think we're, you know, a work in progress as a society to start prioritizing this. But unfortunately, often it can become these disjointed, disjointed steps that you have to take and making sure to follow up and get the insurance coverage and this, that, and the other. So the fact that you did that and the fact that you pointed to some of these signs that people might miss, like what you said about the choking is actually uh, a very common thing that can come up with sleep apnea where people can have experience. They feel like people might describe it as feeling like they're drowning or they're having some sort of breathing issue. Choking though is a particular word that comes up a lot. Hello and welcome to The Modern Consultant. I'm your host, Mark Ernz, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of being able to host Molly Eastman. Molly is the founder of SleepSaskill.com. She's been a longtime friend, but also an advocate for helping me to improve my own sleep, as well as to be able to help hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs improve their sleep at this point as well. In this episode, we talk about sleep apnea. We talk about figuring out what are some of the symptoms that you might be having poor sleep, or even if you don't have poor sleep, how do you continue to improve the sleep that you already have? Because it is just a foundational pillar of our health, which is then a foundational pillar of any business or career that we are trying to build and also affecting our personal relationships. There's no part of our life that sleep does not impact. And for that reason, I made it a personal focus to dig into this for over like one to two years, going deep down this rabbit hole. And if not for Molly, I would not have been able to have gone the distance and to be able to have improved my own sleep quality, which then is going to result in me having a longer quantity of life and longer and better quality of life as well. Listen to this episode. You owe it to yourself. And if there's someone in your life that you care about that you want to help them have a better quantity of life as well as quality of life, listen even closer because she's going to share things that she often would share just with her private clients. Thank you for listening to this. I can't wait to see you on the other side. Molly, I just want to say thank you uh, for being on the show. This I've been looking forward to this. You have been instrumental in my own sleep journey, and I have many updates for you. People would have heard the intro, but if somebody didn't know who you are, what you do, could you tell us? Absolutely. Wow. Well, that was such a cliffhanger. I'm so excited to hear the latest with your own sleep journey. I know I've uh, kind of been a part of some of that conversation over what has it been years now, yeah, maybe yeah. years, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I can't wait to hear that piece. But yes, for anyone listening, a uh, little backstory. I am Molly Eastman. I own Sleep is a Skill, which is a company committed to helping people optimize their sleep through technology, accountability, and behavioral change. I love it. I love it. I love it. And one of the things that I think you share beautifully uh, on your website uh, is your own journey that Mm -hmm. led you to even launching Sleep is a Skill. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I hope that it serves as um, kind of an anchoring for people listening that no matter where they're at in their own journey with their sleep, whether they just like to improve it a little bit, they're really, really struggling or, you know, anywhere in between. Um, my story is one of complete transformation with my sleep. And what it looked like was one of my lowest points in my whole life was related to this breakdown around my sleep. So I now think of my life as kind of this three-part kind of story. And what that looked like was on the first half of my life, a lot of labels and narratives with my sleep. And I would say things to myself like, oh, you know, well, I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's, you know, it's just in my genes or I'll sleep when I'm dead. All of these uh, ways of looking at my sleep as if it was fixed. And I just had to kind of survive this lot in life uh, was how I kind of related to these things and how I set up my kind of reality. Um, and over the years, I didn't correlate these changes in my health and my well-being. So what that uh, kind of shook out to look like was I was getting sick more and more frequently, uh, getting anxiety, having mm. the beginnings of um, an ulcer, shingles in my 20s, wow. probably not a good sign. <laughs> the body's not loving mm. whatever I'm doing. And uh, the whole time I'm not correlating how I'm managing my sleep and my and my health. And it wasn't until I uh, went through this total breakdown with my sleep and really experienced my first true bout of insomnia um, and just night after night after night and not being able to sleep. Um, and it really, really shook me to my core because I had a history with my family of a lot of people navigating down these roads of pharmaceuticals um, and then really being uh, beholden to taking pills routinely, um, particularly around sleep. And mm -hmm. so because I'd seen just a lot of the scary kind of um, realities that they went through, you know, navigating that world, uh, that really, really scared me because then I thought, oh no, this is my moment. Now this is what's happening for me. I'm going to need to be uh, medicated for the rest of my life in order just to do something so seemingly like primal as sleep. Uh, so that lit the fire under me to really delve into this. And when I dove into the world of sleep and what it really takes to get not only just survive sleep, I, I had been doing, but to actually uh, not only get back to that baseline, but then to optimize sleep and uh, in my own life that completely changed my whole experience of what one I thought was possible for me. Cause I didn't even think, you know, great sleep was available to me. And two, just my whole experience of my, my experience of waking up and actually feeling rested and feeling good throughout my entire day into my night, which just was a total paradigm shift. So what ended up happening from that place, once I restored my sleep, I could not stop talking about it. I'm just, you know, blabbering on to anyone that will listen. And suddenly um, small groups started kind of merging and, and forming. And now on the other side, now we have sleep as a skill, which, um, you know, is really set up and designed to help people that are also struggling with their sleep or just want to optimize their sleep and bring things to the next level, um, is available to them through, you know, podcast episodes, newsletters that we send out every week. Um, but it's also grown. We have a particular niche in poker, which I think is pertinent for a lot of people just because it represents 
um, really, you know, think of casinos designed on purpose to confuse the circadian rhythm. <laughs> so they're the great kind of um, use or case studies of looking at even in those environments, how we can improve sleep. Um, mm. But we're also in um, hotels and luxury hotels like Hotel um, Casa Cipriani in Manhattan and others. Um, you know, so it's kind of gotten this whole world built up around sleep optimization. And I say all of this because for the listener, uh, it really, I'm truly a stand that sleep in our modern society is a skill. So many of us have gotten so far off the path of what great sleep can look like and might not mm. even think that it's, you know, available to them. Like it, like I related to the topic. Um, and if you are sleeping pretty okay, then what is also there is the ability to really take things to the next level. Mm. I there are at least three pathways in my mind uh, as far as yeah. where I'd love for this because that was just cool. a, a, an amazing uh, story. Pathway one uh, is just even the intentional choice uh, of the name. Sleep is a skill because, mm. uh, you know, I'm I'm a doctor's son. And so my brain just immediately expanded that out to be like health is a skill. <laughs> and totally. yeah. It's it's I, <laughs> I, I, I love it. Uh, and it reminds me of my own journey uh, through uh, knee surgery, recovery, and yeah. retraining the body to walk because uh, I was immobilized yeah. uh, for several months and having the mindset of, wait, no, it's a skill I can improve at this allowed me to not just accept that my body was going to be in chronic pain for the rest yeah. of my life. You know, and there was this part of the story that you shared where it's like you had accepted, you know, that, hey, this is just is what it is. You know, I, I don't sleep well. And these this is yeah. life. This is, you know, and so it's for anyone that's listening in, uh, we'll get into uh, my sleep journey as well. Like it's it, I think it's so important for us to be able to pay attention to the whispers that the body mm -hmm. are trying is trying to share with us uh, to be able to, you know help us stay alive ultimately is uh, sure. what it's about. Um, there's another piece of what you shared uh, that is a jump off for a question that I want to ask, because you're going to have some people who are listening into this who are very new on their sleep journey. You have some people who sure. are more like biohackers and stuff, um, yeah. uh, very much like a Tim Ferriss uh, for our work week, for our body uh, kind of crowd. Totally. How does someone... What are some of the signs that we should even pay attention to um, if there might be something that is really troubling with our sleep? And mm. then what are some of the signs that we could even just, even if our sleep is okay, um, improve it, make it even better? Mm, that's such, well, one, so many great points there. Yes, sleep is a skill, 100%. And I hope that reframes things for people um, so that it doesn't just feel like, oh, well, you know, my dad was a poor sleeper. My, you know, it's it's in the genes or whatever, however we might relate to things. Uh, that instead, just like any great skill, we can start at 101 and really learn the fundamentals. Um, so having said that, then as far as what are some of the signs that we might have um, have some work or room, uh, to up-level our sleep. 
One, um, I hope we can begin to even just get fascinated, I hope, with this thing that we do a third of our lives. Uh, on average, 26 years of our lives are spent sleeping, and yet we often you know, talk or think so little um, about ways that we could really, really support this process. Um, but then even beyond that, what is this thing that we do? I mean, a really popular book um, in this world has been Dr. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. And there still are a lot of questions as to why why we do this thing. Um, but some of the things that we seem to know is that um, consistency is king with our sleep. So if you are finding a lot of inconsistencies with your sleep and your sleep-wake cycle, that even to begin can be a cue. So we want to always kind of be like the friend that you go out and the friend that still always wakes up with his, you know, regular time that he wakes and maybe begrudgingly, whatever it looks like, but he's always getting up at around that same time or mm. she, um, super important. Cause we want to kind of have this routine systems and schedules for our sleep by which we're awakening at around the same time and getting sleepy at around the same time. If that's not happening for you, those key signals, which is really our cortisol pulse on the front first half of our day and our melatonin pulse on the end of our, towards the end of the day, those are clearly then not firing to the degree that we would like to see them at those key times. So if those bookends of, of your day, those hormonal bookends are moving all around, that's a big problem for us. So okay. one, that. Two, we want to also um, understand our fatigue level. If we're experiencing just a lot of fatigue throughout the course of the day, um, aside from maybe just a kind of more normalized slump a bit in the afternoon, um, which kind of does align more with our circadian knowledge that that might kind of happen, a siesta, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. But if we are just really, really struggling throughout the course of the day, yet another sign, um, and then for those biohackers, of course, your data can help tell you, and believe me, I'm data fiend. Uh, so, so, and certainly we can speak about that and how to use wearable data, um, to help support that journey, but then also ensuring that we might, uh, that we don't necessarily have, you know, there's over 80 different sleep disorders um, that are out there that we could be dealing with and we might not even know. And I'm assuming one that we might speak about with you is sleep apnea, which Absolutely. is so so common. And it is sadly um, often very much missed. And you do really need to advocate for yourself um, often because unfortunately, just systemically, the average primary care doctor has around two hours of training in the world of sleep, this thing that oh, wow. we do, you know, 26 years of our lives. And that's out of Harvard Medical School. That's their reports. So some of the best schools in the, uh, in the, in America anyway, uh, are dealing with this kind of breakdown. And so you want to make sure that you're advocating for yourself that if we feel like there's any sort of respiratory disturbance and Sleep apnea comes in stages as well as um, other breathing issues. So like upper airway resistance syndrome, uh, kind of generalized mouth breathing and some of these other issues that can come about if we are um, struggling throughout the course of our night with a sleep disorder. So those are some key things, but also standing in that curiosity of is my sleep as kind of rich or up to the level that it could be and investigating all the details that are a part of that. I love that. And I love the segue 
uh, as mm. well, because for me, I am a performance-driven individual. Sure. Like if you look at my strength finders profile, achiever is number one, front yes. and center. <laughs> like, totally. I, it, it fits. <laughs> that tracks for me with you. Totally. Yeah. Love that. And <laughs> also in the top five is learner, you know, uh, and yeah. thankfully yeah. they 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 go together, you know, and I, one of the things that I've learned about myself uh, is just through just natural observation, just how performance both physically as well as uh, mentally uh, just suffers uh, mm. if I have bad sleep. Sure. And one of the interesting, I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, but I used to have just these nightmares uh, mm -hmm. when I was growing up um, and I had recurring dreams of suffocating in my sleep um as a child like night after night night after night and i then started to lucid dream so that mm -hmm. i could start to move my body and wake myself up because in the dream i was like oh it's happening again and then i would it, it'd be like kill bill i'd start yeah. like, okay wiggle your big toe wiggle your big toe and, and then like try to start moving and then eventually i would flop my arm uh, and because I was also suffering from sleep paralysis uh, oh, as well. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, body, wake up. Um, because in the dream, I couldn't breathe. And it turned out that in reality, I couldn't breathe as well. Mm. Um, and so I had to like throw, I would throw myself off of the bed <laughs> to wake myself up. <laughs> oh, it my. worked. It was painful, but it worked. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I did not hear the story. <laughs> fast forward, uh, like 30 years later, um, you and I uh, get connected, yeah. you know, through oh. a fun mastermind that we're a part of. Um, yeah. And uh, you lovingly kept prompting me like, hey, maybe you should get that checked out. Hey, you should <laughs> probably go check out like a sleep study. And then eventually I did. And then uh, thanks to you, I found out that I uh, had sleep apnea. Um, and um game changer uh as a doctor's son i i love a good diagnosis because okay now the problem is named and i can do something about it 100 <laughs> like, yeah. like that's, that's 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 usually how my mind thinks about it but then i dug into my family uh tree and it turned out that it runs in the family and that there was someone else an uncle in england i think had also mm. done a sleep study and found out that they also had sleep apnea i was like mom would have been nice to know this a little bit earlier but <laughs> <laughs> we'd have the information here we now. are yeah totally <laughs> uh, but then um, um again thanks to you i then did the sleep study. I, I got hooked up to 15 million different diodes uh, and then they <laughs> did the thing. And then eventually um, I got one of the CPAP machines. And then the first night after I was like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, oh. this is what oxygen while I'm oh. sleeping feels like. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> It was just uh, night and day. <laughs> literally. You got yourself through night into the day without choking and flailing around. Pretty <gasps> uh, that um, makes but, me so happy. Uh, so I just like, uh, you know, maybe this podcast is just a big excuse to thank you. And, uh. <laughs> and I, I, it, it's literally changed my life. Uh, and uh. 
then it it uh, it taught me that all these things that were happening that I took like as just like oh this is just normal that none of it was normal it's like the teeth yeah. grinding being a sign of sleep oh, apnea to you know just all of these different things my body was trying to do to open up the airways inside of my throat so I could get more oxygen um, right. and just all these different signs and so I'm curious I share all of that because I want to open up this conversation particularly mm -hmm. for somebody who might be earlier on in their journey and hey maybe they have sleep apnea maybe they don't maybe their sleep can be improved but what are some of the signs um, that we might have crappy sleep? <laughs> but what are some of the common signs that you see with your clients uh, that sleep might be crappy, but they just take it for granted that, hey, maybe this is just what it is? Yeah. Well, one, wow, I'm so glad you shared about that and just really... Oh, it makes me so happy to hear because um, sleep apnea, it's one of those things where we see people, um, we might think, oh, isn't it so silly and cute about people snoring or just, uh, you know, oh, they've got just a little bit of mild apnea or kind of waking themselves up and what have you, but we might poo-poo it or not take it seriously. And the fact that you took all these steps, because I know sometimes, unfortunately, um, I think we're, you know, a work in progress as a society to start prioritizing this. But unfortunately, often it can be kind of these disjointed, disjointed steps that you have to take and making sure to follow up and get the mm -hmm. insurance coverage and this, that, and the other. Um, so the fact that you did that and the fact that you pointed to some of these signs that people might miss, like what you said about the choking is actually uh, a very common thing that can come up with sleep apnea where people can have experience. They feel like um, people might describe it as feeling like they're drowning or they're having some sort of breathing issue. Choking though is a particular word that comes up a lot. Hmm. Um, and then sometimes it can look like having um, a lot of these intense dreams from a element of many of the times that we remember dreams are because we're interrupted and, you know, we're awakening and kind of tethered to that awakening is the memory piece of that dream. But if we're not awakening as often, then we might not experience the memory of as many of those dreams in that level of intensity. Um, so I'd be curious if you are finding, if you're, if you're dreaming, the dream piece has changed at all. Have you noticed any of that? You opened up a can of worms. You are so right. I hadn't considered that. Oh, and you're 1000% right. Even last night. Okay. Like I know that I have gluten sensitivities, allergies, okay. but I love pizza. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't always get gluten-free pizza. Yeah. Um, and also there's a bunch of like, I, I, I'm in Brooklyn right now traveling oh, and, well, then, you know, just, just one yeah. of the homes of like Jamaican food inside of, you know, uh, the United States. And yeah. so I, I got uh, uh, a Jamaican beef patty and, and, but crust gluten. So yeah, <laughs> before bed. And then I woke up at like two 30 in the morning. I was like, I had the craziest dream. It was right? violent too. Yes, totally. <laughs> it was uh -huh. crazy. Yeah. Yes. And, and also for anyone listening that knows that they have sleep apnea, um, one of the ways that we can help lower these apneas, because I think that's another thing that people might not realize um, is that 
you know, you have a say too in the number of apneas. You can either wildly um, increase them, which hopefully we wouldn't want, um, or you can kind of dissipate them through some of your behaviors. And um, and some can be immediate, like sleep positioning, but others can be behavioral in things like um, our weight and things like how much we're eating at what time. So volume and timeline. Um, and the quality too, there's interesting studies that have, uh, shown that if we're having a lot of kind of what they put it in the category of kind of junk food to processed food, um, as opposed to whole food seems to uptick the number of, uh, apneas that people might see, but certainly that late night eating, um, and kind of more inflammatory type foods, um, maybe putting in the category of say like a gluten or dairy or both, um, seem to bring that about. And then there you go. Then you have the, the dream. So mm-hmm. So for anyone listening that's saying, well, I don't know if I have sleep apnea, um, what are some of the signs that you might notice um, and think of? Well, some are ones that you might have heard of that are just very um, kind of potentially more out there in how we think about apnea, which is, of course, the loud snoring. um, That is certainly just snoring in general. We want to absolutely get tested um, for as far as no matter if there's presence of a lot of snoring, we want to get tested. Um, And we don't want to have snoring regardless across the board. We want to do a lot to help support that. Um, There actually are even daytime treatments like Excite Mm. OSA is um, approved, FDA approved for snoring and mild sleep apnea, um, which a lot of people don't even realize there's things you can do for just snoring. Um, But certainly snoring, if you're awakening with uh, dry mouth in the mornings, morning headaches, um, super common one. Uh, If you're having difficulty staying asleep, so you might fall asleep and I hear this a ton where people are like, Oh my God, I have no problem with sleep. I fall asleep the minute my head hits a pillow, which is also a huge red flag for us that something Mm. is actually problematic with our sleep because why are we so sleep deprived? It should actually take us a little bit of time, not an egregious amount of time, but you know, maybe around 10, 15 minutes or so to actually transition from an awake brain state to a totally like weird altered reality, which is sleep. (laughs) Uh, and so it should take a little bit of time. Um, and so also then throughout the course of the day, are you just really struggling with an immense amount of fatigue throughout the course of the day. Um, and then also just episodes of, um, kind of difficulty of breathing, which can go in alignment with what you were sharing with that, like choking. So people that, you know, if you're, if you have a um, partner in your bed, if they notice that you're stopping breathing, of course, throughout the course of the night, all of these things can be signs, but also in the past, we might've thought of, um, people's waistline and their, uh, the size of their neck and things of that nature, which certainly also do, um, correlate, but there also are plenty of slender people. I mean, I know you're, you take care of yourself, all these things. And so we might think, oh, well then we're, we're good to go, but it turns out there's all kinds of people that, um, just anatomically or hormonal changes, Um, And if you didn't have sleep apnea, even times when you tested like years back and things have changed in your life, hormonal Mm -hmm. shifts, um, certain changes in, you know, kind of musculature, even though the tongue and other things, then you might have sleep apnea now where you didn't have it before. I think you might've saved a life just now. Okay. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> they, right. And, and you've seen too, it's just so yeah. huge. The cardiovascular health alone for often for people, blood pressure, heart rate, 
HRB. So for those biohackers, a lot of those stats that we're looking to impact, uh, if sleep apnea is there, like good luck transforming any other area of sleep. If we're not addressing, that's like the, the ship is sinking and we're doing all these little tweaks. Oh, have some magnesium supplements or what have you I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. well, we got to address the huge, huge hole in that ship, which is, uh, any sort of breathing difficulties. Oh, and so Again, as a doctor's son, I appreciate yeah. a great diagnosis. And yeah. it was hard to get that when I was trying to get scheduled for a sleep study. Okay. Because as it turns out, you know, uh, it turns out, you know, Washington, D.C., where I'm based, apparently a lot of people have troubles with sleep. There's a whole deep rabbit hole uh, in oh. stories of that that we could probably talk about. Totally. <laughs> but, Part two. <laughs> yep. If. If anyone's listening to this and like has been uh, thinking about it, um, don't wait because it it took me months yeah. to get scheduled with a sleep center. And then there was a nationwide shortage on, you know, the 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 CPAP machines, uh, which you know I was prescribed uh for um to to help with it, you know. And so then yeah. it's like it, it could take six to nine months from when you first decide to try and deal with it to actually get some resolution with it and you, you you don't i hope that's not someone else's experience but the possibility exists yeah um, because 100%. We're, you're not the only person with sleep problems <laughs> in yeah in america or in the world um totally. the other thing i want to talk to you about though uh molly which you have uh just just this breadth and depth of expertise on um are all of the available options for being able to um, quantify sleep? If someone is wanting to understand more um, about what their sleep looks like without necessarily getting into like a sleep center, what yeah. options exist and where would you recommend they even start? Mm. Well, I love that you use that word breadth because that's actually one of the things I think of for consumer wearables is while they might be lacking in some of the kind of um, scalpel-like precision, or at least that we try to have in sleep labs, which also have their own problems, but um, but still kind of our gold standard. Uh, so whereas consumer-grade trackers, one of the things they really shine in is that breadth of data that they give mm -hmm. you across for many people if they start wearing some of these wearables. Like some of the people that come my way have been wearing certain sleep wearables for years. And then we get to see kind of this whole story emerge around some of their habits habits and mm. what we're seeing with their sleep. And then at some of their interventions that they might've brought in or environmental shifts and how all these things show up in their sleep results. So that's really one of the cool things that I find for, uh, bringing wearables into the conversation. When we think about wearables, um, lots of different options, but for, uh, sleep trackers, I mean, for me right now in 2022, Three, um, I'm still recommending for people to use the Aura Ring for sleep. Um, however, there's a lot of great other ones too. Whoop is doing some fantastic things for sleep. Um, Biostrap, Apple, uh, Garmin. Uh, you can even use like Muse headbands and other things are emerging for tracking your sleep. But then there's also apps that you can use. Um, so Sleep Cycle and others, but also for tracking that um, concern that we're talking about with, um, some sort of sleep breathing trouble. So, uh, things like 
Snore Lab are helpful because, and I think we'd actually maybe yeah. talk about that with you, right? Yeah, yeah, that was part yeah, of yeah. your story too. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, you just put your the app on in your um in your environment, and get a few nights of data, and then we can see is there kind of audible snoring in the space, even because some people say, well, I don't know, I don't have a partner, I sleep alone, mm -hmm. so who knows? But then that's another thing that's just affordable, and you could just easily do that like tonight. Um. Yep. So all of these things are ways that you can track. And then even there is the old school analog manual way of sleep diaries, which have their own benefits too. I would definitely suggest a merging or hybrid of, of the two of those. So kind of logging your subjective experience with your objective experience uh, on some of the wearables. So I, I really like the Snore Lab reference because it's extremely accessible in yeah, that the totally. device that you're going to be using it to to measure uh, is your smartphone. We, if, yeah. you're, if you're listening to this, you, you, you're probably listening to it on a smartphone right now. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you. You have the equipment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can literally go into the app store, Google Play, you know, wherever uh, to yeah. go look at the app exactly. right now as you're listening to this. Um, or if you're watching it, then you probably had like, again, on your phone or desktop. And, and again, like you could go check that out like right now. Um, yeah. It's it's th these sorts of things, particularly because um, the science of behavior change. Like if you could just get going on it right now, at least you've taken the first possible step uh, towards uh, improving you know, one's life. Uh, what are some of the most surprising things you've learned since launching Sleep as a Skill and working with as many clients as you have? Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is meal timing. Uh, hmm. You mentioned about that with the being in Brooklyn and the pizza, I feel you. Oh my gosh, I'm right there with you. This is the best <laughs> pizza in the world, it feels like. Um, so meal timing, I find really, really fascinating and how much that can show up on our wearable data. So one of the things that we've amassed is one of the largest databases of ordering users specifically for sleep optimization outside of research and what have you, and dynamically uh, be really in there with their data on a really uh, granular basis. So we've got people tagging things and all kinds of um, data that we're able to extract what's going on with people, with their sleep and their health. So mm. one of the more profound things that I just see on a routine basis that people really struggle with, and I understand why, um, is that meal timing piece and are often surprised by how much of a difference measurably we can see in things like heart rate and HRV um, and HRV being heart rate variability, if we just simply move back the timing of our last bite of food, uh, and ideally that we're not having all these glucose unstable food options as well. Um, so we're stabilizing our glucose and then, uh, kind of having that clear ending time. That's really often much earlier than a lot of people might consider. So like, for example, I know um, Brian Johnson's getting a lot of press uh, in the news right now from, from the biohacker perspective, like you were speaking to um, uh, for, you know, kind of becoming the most quantified man. And he's gotten a lot of press around the fact that his last bite of food is around 10 hours before bed. Um, and that's honestly right around in alignment with what I'm doing some form of that. Now I'm not saying by the way, because people go nuts on that part. I'm not saying that people need to do that, uh, but I am saying that there's this bio-individuality and then that there's some interest mm. in and um, 
some real measurable changes that we see for people's uh, health and sleep come up when we play with that last bite of food and just moving it a little bit earlier. Now, the generalized recommendations are even from, and this is from the reigning um, circadian health uh, researchers around sleep. And right now I often reference Dr. Sachin Panda from the Salk Institute who wrote Circadian Code, a great resource for anyone curious on this topic um, of meal timing and how that affects your circadian rhythm. Uh, his recommendations are from two to three hours before bed, having your last bite of food at least, but then uh, there can be that possibility of a wiggling of playing with even earlier. And so I've seen interesting uh, benefits even four to five hours before bed. Mm. And also the difference that people often see on those sleep stage classifications, which are less accurate than some of the other metrics on most wearables, um, but still could be a little noteworthy from how dramatic I often see of a change when people bring that in. So that's just one top of mind, really measurable one. Okay. This is fantastic. Based on your experience, do your clients favor one kind of alcohol versus another? Oh, good question. Okay. So the alcohol piece, one of the lowest hanging fruits, most often for the average person, um, is to really, really minimize alcohol intake because we just see it show up so often on our sleep results. Um, and I would say that's one of the most routine things that I find people that across the board, when they get wearables that over time, they start to minimize the number of alcoholic beverages that they have because of how much they see it measurably having an impact on their sleep. Mm. So then what can we do? Uh, well, one, it's truly timing. So the earlier you can move your alcoholic uh, moments, then the better. So boozy brunches, uh, <laughs> aggressively early happy hours, all of those uh, highly recommend. But also um, the best alcohol I've found to date that doesn't seem to impact our sleep results in the same way are hard ketones. So they're derived from uh, ketone esters and they do not seem to have the same hit because they're ethanol free. Uh, and ethanol is one of the bigger kind of hits mm. to your overall health and that fragmentation of your sleep um, seems to really come about when you have something that has ethanol in it, uh, whereas those hard ketones uh, do not have that other things that we actually have on our on our store page, a whole thing devoted to alcohol alternatives because it's such a big topic because mm -hmm. you still want to have some sort of state change often, um, but we want to find other things that are not going to hit you as hard. So that would be one, um, things like dry farms, wine. Now those are still going to hit you, but they are lab tested, um, no sugar and not having sulfates and all these other extra things that, um, a lot of drinks might have. And then, but th that one's still kind of controversial because some biohackers will also say wine across the board is going to be inflammatory mm -hmm. and problematic. Um, mm -hmm. One of the cleanest sides of alcohol seems to be one of the clearest. So uh, vodkas, potato vodkas, uh, oddly. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's really clean. And then, of course, not having like sugar and all those things that are going to further mess with your blood sugar. 
Um, but still, you're going to for sure still see those. And if you have uh, sleep apnea, you're going to likely see some flare-ups in apnea. So other things can be kava um, is a common kind of alcohol alternative. Um, so kava, is, and now it will even come in kind of like a beer-like looking package. Um, mm -hmm. So you can get things like kava or kratom is one that we're starting to see uh, pop up. So one popular line is called feel free. So it has kava and kratom in it. Mm -hmm. Then, um, other weird ones that I might have people try from this is again, biohacker playing, um, intranasal oxytocin. So you can up the nose, have a little oxytocin and just like love everyone. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then, um, let another one that always gets weird looks is, um, microdosing of nicotine, which people say what, uh, but again, micro micro and from really clean sources from, uh, one of the ones I suggest is Lucy gum, kind of the biohackers choice. Their new mantra is nicotine for normal people, uh, because of the sort of previous rap that we might think of for nicotine. Uh, but certainly if people, and granted, you won't want to do any of these things all the time, mm -hmm. but uh, what I've found for people is it can be something where they're at the bar and all their other friends are doing, which alcohol for some reason has gotten this like, you know, clean bill of, you know, it's mm -hmm. the normal cool thing to do, but yep. it's one of the worst hits on our health and well-being. Whereas if you, everyone else is drinking and then you have a little bit of like a Lucy gum, I promise you, you're not going to hit your sleep stats um, and your health stats in the same way that you would from that same, you know, glass of whatever. Um, now, that one gets more layered, probably a longer conversation, but, uh, things exploring other state changers that do make you feel different. Uh, but then without sacrificing your sleep. We both have hard stops, but yes. there's like three quick <laughs> lightning, okay. um, tidbits going to sleep light before sleep. Sorry. Um, Lighting before going to sleep. Yeah. Difference. Should we use red light? Should we avoid blue light? Also, does it matter if we have uh, using a sleep mask versus uh, using blackout curtains? Um, mm. Talk a little bit about that part. Totally. Okay. So in your actual bed, while you're actually sleeping, you want to have, um, be able to kind of pass the hand test. So putting your hand out in front of your face, if you can still see your hand, keep working to further black out that room. Even if it's just that little sliver of light coming through that little thing, like take the steps. It's annoying on the front end, but it will serve in dividends. And there's really many studies that can point to, to this. You're not just being neurotic. You really are doing this for a reason. It can help with that overall sleep quality, less sleep fragmentation. Um, so total blackout at, in your sleep kind of haven, but in all that environment that you're in, in those hours leading up to sleep, you want to be bathing in darkness. And this is really, so post sunset, the reason we want to bathe in darkness is because, uh, melatonin is known as kind of the hormone of darkness, the vampire hormone. Uh, and so all these <laughs> things are said because in order to produce sufficient uh, melatonin in the night, we want to be bathing in that darkness to make that melatonin kind of grow to the point that we want to have to both fall asleep, but then also stay asleep throughout the whole course of the night. So what you want to do is really ensure that you have next to no, uh, that's kind of referred to as 
alien lights at night. So kind of uh, man-made night lights at night for the most part that have uh, blue and green lights within mm. them, which is most lights that you're going to find. Uh, so, and the reason for that is that those can both and mainly blue light disrupt your melatonin production. So what would be the alternative? Ideally, um, candlelight would be the ideal, but I get that some people have kids and cats and whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, red light would be the suggestion there, although you just don't want it to be like a blinding, you know, those red light biohackery panels, probably don't want to use those uh, super late into the night and, you know, brighten up like right in front of your eyes and what have you, because any bright light, it's just, you want to mimic it and overlay anything you're doing with how would we have done things ancestrally in nature mm. for thousands of years and what is like i mean really truly the first biohack was fire and so it's our ability to uh, uh you know kind of artificially extend our days and so we want to mimic how things would have been in nature so the best way to do that is to then just kind of have um, some things that we would find in nature, like a fiery hue is really rich in infrared light and red light. So we're trying to mimic that, but we're also not having it be egregiously high lux output, like L-U-X. And you can measure this with even phones, free apps, lux or light meter. You can see how many lux are in your environment. So you want a really, really low in the evenings um, and then really, really bright by day. So that's the mm. big part of it is you want high amp amplitude, brightness by day, uh, really dim in the evenings. Thank you for that beautiful answer. I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to save the two okay, other questions. Future uh, yes. interactions. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, because uh, I love that you, you said that because I want to have you back on. Uh, <laughs> there's so much more for us to talk about uh, that's like uh, one, I just enjoy our hangouts as always. Yes, me too. Uh, and I know this is gonna help so many people. So mm. thank you uh, for taking the time to do this. And if we wanted to find out more about you, where should we go? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I always love our hangouts. Amazing. Love what you're doing. Um, and if people are struggling or just curious, hopefully that's the other piece of this is I think every single one of us on this planet could serve from having a more circadian aligned lifestyle. So if you're curious or struggling or anywhere in between, um, sleepisaskill.com is the place where you can do a lot of different things. So one, you can take a sleep assessment and you can get kind of tailored information back around what's happening with your sleep. You can sign up for our weekly podcast. Um, you can get our weekly newsletter we've been doing for almost five years every Monday. Uh, and then if you are struggling, then we have different courses and one-on-ones and other things um, that all are having you tracked with a aura ring so that we can see measurably, um, you know, for someone like yourself, right? Like the, the numbers can really help us tell the whole story that wow. our behaviors are in say, having a say in our sleep results and um, to see those trends can be really fulfilling for people. Thank you so much. You are amazing. Uh, and I'm going to see you in Austin at some point. Um, yes. we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, Let's do it. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. Well, in the meantime, you enjoy Brooklyn, uh, but this was fantastic as always. I love our interactions and more to come. <laughs>